and welcome to episode 279 of the Water Sweet Flame podcast. I'm your host, Weishan, and as usual, I've got Tony here with me. Hey, T, what's happening? Not much. Uh, it's a beautiful day in New York City after a couple of weeks of frigid cold, so always nice. Okay, okay. Well, tell us what you've been up to. You just published like um, a series of articles. Tell the audience yep. what that was about. Yeah, so for this, it's for subscribers, fair enough, but uh, we call it uh, Voice of the CTO. So toward the end of last year, um, I interviewed a handful of CTOs and Wei Shen interviewed some and actually we, we got some other help. So, uh, but we interviewed, I think it was about eight. And when we say CTO, we're talking about just heads of technology, chief information officer, CTO, um, or I'll send like global heads, you know, people that manage a budget. Anyway, it's all to get to understand how they're spending their budget, you know, where they think the opportunity for innovation is, but also the balancing act that they have to play between, um, you know, kind of running the bank versus, you know, changing the bank. And so it's it was five articles and then an opinion piece of water's breath. Uh, but I think it's uh, very good stuff, and um, I'm proud of what we produced. And I hope if you're a subscriber, you should definitely be reading it. If you're not a subscriber, if you email me directly from a business um, email, um, I might be willing to uh, uh, give you one or two articles, uh, you know, for free. Um, but it's mainly just for our subscribers. So, but I hope people read it. I think it's pretty illuminating. And again, these are, I think it was, again, I think it was eight total. And these are, you know, GSIBs, global uh, tier one bank minimum. Um, so these are big, big uh, banks and kind of the issues that they're facing. So yeah, I hope you check it out and shoot me an email uh, should you not be able to access it and we'll see what we can do. Well, as someone who, well, had to, was involved in the editing process, also in talking to other um, mm -hmm. heads of tech. Uh, what you've compiled there is actually, yeah, I found it really interesting. And I mean, it's not like they're saying something novel. Uh, mm -hmm. We know all these things, but for them to actually come out and say it and, um, you know, it's, I, yeah, there are some interesting nuggets there that, you know, we wouldn't have necessarily thought about or written about. Yeah, yeah. So we hope one. that it's something that you can take, whether whether you're at a bank, whether you're at an asset manager or a vendor company or just interested in thought leadership and technology. I think that it's, you know, you'll there's certainly a lot of there's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, I'm, I, if you don't think so, then feel free to tell me <laughs> if, you, if you read them all, and you're like, I got nothing out of it. It was completely useless. I am open to that uh, criticism. So that's fair enough. Well, this week we have a guest for for you guys, um, mm -hmm. at, and Theo is the one who uh, brought on this uh, interview, and uh, so he he brought on Ben Parker, who is the CEO and founder of Efo Global. They talk about some regulatory stuff happening in Europe, things like MICA, um, and the uh, an overview of the Emir refit. For for the regulation walks out there, you're gonna love it. Yep. Until next week. All right, and now I'm here with Ben Parker, CEO and founder of eFlow Global. How are you, Ben? I'm very well, thanks, Theo, and thank you for having me. 
Not at all. Thanks for coming on. Last time we spoke, you were on the road in Europe. Are you still globetrotting or are you back in London now? No, I'm 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 back on terra firma. I'm not skiing anymore, so um, I'm I'm back in London. Oh, oh well, had to come back sometime. I'm actually yeah. off to the Alps later this week. Oh, so, very um, nice. Was the was the snow good? The snow was well. I was there this time last year, and I was on bare earth at that time. So yeah, anything is better than that. So it was. I was able to ski a few blues and reds. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Better than skiing in London, at least. Um, <laughs> exactly. I guess. So, for the benefit of our audience, could you give us a, a brief overview of um, what you do and how you came to found eFlow? Yeah, sure. Um, so, well, our journey began back in 2004. Um, we've always been in trading technology. Um, my background is in investment banking, risk systems, uh, and lastly, regulatory uh, compliance solutions. Uh, formed eFlow in 2004 as a trade lifecycle management business, very different from what we do today. Um, roll forward, um, I won't give you the full story, um, but roll forward sort of a, a decade um, financial crisis uh, and off the back of that, the sort of regulation that came out, we adapted our solutions for um, for for that, uh, moved away from trade lifecycle management. Uh, and over the last 10 years, we've been um, deploying cloud solutions and trying to make the world of uh, regulatory compliance within fintech a, a safer place. Right. Yeah. And that that spate of new regulation that's ongoing and started with the financial crisis is part of what I suppose we want to talk about today. We tend to talk to the more hardcore market data, reference data types on the podcast, but we wanted to have you on to really zoom in on the regulatory side of things. And I think the the way that regulation affects tech is discussed less than it could be. Um, yeah. But regulation is a, a huge topic. So I suppose let's focus on Europe to start with. So Ben, what will be the what will be front of mind for European compliance professionals this year, do you think? What are the big events in the regulatory calendar? Yeah, well, um, like with every year, it seems that uh, the calendar just gets more and more uh, chock-a-block, doesn't it? Um, so I think that the um, if we look in our particular place, we've got the um, EMEA regulation coming up, um, so the refit of uh, the re reporting requirements around OTC derivatives. Um, this well the micro regulation coming up which is the digital asset version of um of the mifid regulation um that will be uh, whilst it's still in effect now um it doesn't really come in until december at the end of the year so that will really play heavily on the landscape um and then there's uh sort of banking regulations around um basel two uh, basel etc um and and the list could go on. I could give you a list of about 20 different regulations that will play a, play a prominent part in the, the landscape. But um, the, the reason why the digital assets one is particularly uh, of interest is obviously because this is new territory um, and it's uh, a topic that's been going around and around and how you actually grapple with that. Um, how do you put a framework around that? And and now we're moving towards that. So from 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 my perspective, that's uh, uh, it is one as much as one can get excited about um, upcoming regulation, that's one um, to put in the put in the diary. Yeah, and how do you put a framework around that? Do we yet know exactly what shape MICA is going to take and what it will cover? Yeah, we do. Um, you know, you could you could break it down into sort of that which isn't covered by by MICA, so your non fungible tokens, um, sort of. Financial instrument tokens—they're they're sort of covered by MIFID um, as it was. Um, 
payment tokens and utility tokens and other, they're, they're essentially covered by um, the MICA regulation. Uh, specifically within sort of our sphere of um, sort of market surveillance, uh, that is going to follow very much a similar framework to what's already in place. Um, the uh, the only thing is that the, the sort of variances of what we're actually looking for, or what the regulators are looking for. Um, for instance, you can't insider trade on a uh, on a digital asset. It's very hard to do that. Um, but there are other ways to manipulate a market there. Um, from a reporting requirements, you know there are already existing reporting requirements around um, digital assets as it is at the moment, because um, essentially you're working on a uh, an OTC market. I guess the the other the other interesting aspect of it um, within Micra is you're working across a what is essentially a 24 hour market as well. Um, so um, that'll be a challenge uh, for regulators, investment firms, uh, whoever it might be uh, in that space to actually work across that full sort of 24 hour spectrum uh, and, and try and have all the gaps covered. What does that mean technologically? How do you achieve that? You know, it's very difficult actually not to have that gaps because essentially you don't have a logical end of day, um, you know, because financial markets have, have always worked on this sort of end of day com concept. and um, when it comes to the technology that's put in place, um, you know, the, everywhere is primed for that through that the whole cycle. So you've got um, your front office right through your back office always have this concept of sort of end of day and, and um, spe specifically around regulation. Again, obviously, that's, you know, if we put ourselves in the middle and back office as a function, um, that means that we um, essentially have to have robust systems that are actually able to um, get around the concept of an opening and a closing of a market, um, able to hand um, functions across time zones, et cetera. So you've got, and, and this probably leads into where we're moving in terms of global um, global coverage of regulation, that it's not really not siloed between region anymore. You're actually then seeing, as we move to sort of 24-hour markets, you're seeing a harmonization of regulation around them as well. Hmm. So are you seeing um mica related regulatory agendas elsewhere outside of europe too yes but not as much um the, europe has always been leading the way with um with this i guess because they've taken a unified approach you know under esma um and obviously uh, the fca has broken away from that but they follow very closely with that and have that sort of unified approach um but in terms of what the rest of the world is doing, we're very much leading the way here. And I say we being us and Europe. Um, yeah. Where does AI fit into all of this? Uh, well, the big topic of AI, obviously, it's the it's the it's the buzzword at the moment, isn't it? There is a great opportunity there for for, for the financial markets. Um, at the same time, obviously, this presents uh, some issues when it comes to um, regulation. Um, actually. You know, I'm moving away from from Micah, but I think that you can you can apply the same, uh, whether it's Micah or or any other um, type of regulation. But um, if I if I sort of bring it to you know a study recently with um, um, the UK AI uh, Safety Summit, where they used a bot, for instance, in trading, um, and they were essentially able to um, uh, use made up inside information to make illegal purchases on the stocks without actually, and they didn't when they did the study, they didn't tell the firm. Uh, that they were doing this uh, and they had no idea that it was actually taking place and the bot was able to cover up its its activities. So I think that, you know, that from a regulatory standpoint, um, 
when when we consider that and um and it'll be the same when it comes to micro and, and digital assets and how they're using that that ai technology essentially you have to um have that harmonization between um i guess the use of ai for the advancement but you have to deploy the same ai when it comes to the regulatory controls as well so the um so the frameworks have to keep up with the use of the ai yeah, in the markets as well um at the same time you don't want to then have complete um a hands-off approach to it so there has to be sort of the the human oversight to that um to make sure that that aligns with um you know making sure that there's um proper controls around that and you know when it comes to you know the regulation of of ai there isn't really anything out there so you're not you're not regulating the the behavior itself but that behavior or those tools become a fundamental driver for um for the markets and for the regulation as well but ultimately um it comes back to you know human oversight on that um as well yeah yeah with the example that you gave of the fca and the trading bot that was able to cover up its own activities is that something that just regulators should be worried about i mean what can firms do about that well yes they they should be worried about it because ultimately when you combine it with um you know circumstances where you're using it with algorithmic trading obviously algorithmic trading for instance has never never been a it's not a new thing um but when you with with ai there is you know ai models are designed to optimize bring the most optimal situation possible and in in the case of um in the markets that's you know what's the most profit they can they can achieve from that so from the point of point of view of regulators um and um investment firms through their their compliance functions the only thing that they they can do in that situation is make sure they have the robust controls around that what does that mean that means the implementation implementation of solutions that are themselves using ai so it's essentially ai to combat ai um mm. the the other thing as well and you know obviously we're talking about tech it's a, it's a tech podcast is that um you're going to get this strange situation that comes up where you've got um potential fragmentation or siloed business approaches to this so business operations whether it's front office middle or back where they're essentially uh, deploying or with the use of ai uh, at different times and with different um complexity and almost and also resources that go into them to optimize it so you might end up with this imbalance where essentially you've got um heavy heavy use of ai um and this is you know in all of the sort of sectors within financial markets that i mentioned before um you know anything that's revenue generating obviously it's going to go heavily into that um whether it's used for good or bad purposes from the point of regulation and what we're trying to achieve but then you'll have potentially have a disparity where that hasn't it doesn't get deployed uh equally in the um in the middle and back office and so if you have this essential imbalance it could create an even bigger chasm um which again puts even more burden on um on regulation because the one thing that it will generate um even if it's you know uh, flying ahead in terms of a business process it'll just generate more and more data um and you know that's what we've seen with ai is just the the amount of data that's been generated by that and so then to actually process it to analyze it to to report it etc uh in other areas of the business functions if you don't deploy um the tools to do that um you'll have this huge chasm between the two potentially so the rich get richer yes and the um those of us who are trying to police that um 
need to keep up as well. Mm. Yeah. Well, coming back to something you mentioned at the beginning, which is Emir. This is yes. Um, somewhat closer to my heart, but um, for the benefit of listeners outside of Europe or even European listeners who, for some strange reason, choose not to spend their time following financial regulation. Um, could you talk us through what the EMEA refit means? Yeah, so it's a, the refit is a, a, a refit of the original EMEA regulation. So it's essentially the um, obligation to report um, on OTC derivatives. So it's a post-trade function, essentially. Um, and as with uh, a lot of these reporting regimes when they came in um you know they tried to cover a certain framework to satisfy that the reporting of that then there was a number of gaps identified um and then um there's been a number of cons consultations and then through um esma and various um ncas under that and and the fca they're they're releasing a a refit to that so one of the biggest um and and that the european um refit comes in in april and then uh, the UK follows shortly after at the back end of the year. So one of the things that came out of that was um, there's something called UPI. So UPI is um, a, a new field that has to be um, uh, reported. And, and the main reason for doing that was there was a lack of harmonisation in terms of identification codes that were being reported. So there were CFIs, ISINs, et cetera. So this um, UPI uh, system that comes in somewhere sits somewhere in between of the, the CPR, uh, CFI and the ISINs, uh, and it's meant to bring that sort of conformity um, into the reporting regime. Um, and there are additional reporting fields, and I'm not going to sit here and go through absolutely every one of them uh, on this call, but that's the main change for that. So it's about um, bringing that uniformity so that there is that ability to identify those OTC derivatives through that. Um, and actually, uh, it's sort of going alongside this in fact there's the um uh, mas rewrite in singapore and then there's asic as well uh, asic reporting um in australia and they're they're trying to align the um, otc reporting regimes within those regions as well by the same upi methodology so this sort of goes back to you know where i was talking earlier about the you know as much as you can have this a sort of harmonization across uh reporting regimes um and, and bring them more into line so that's where you're starting to get this um this global approach to to regulation so and and you know back to your point earlier about um, mica i think that um once we see this first iteration of that we you know we tend to see there's a first iteration and often led by europe um and the uk and then you'll have this sort of refit type of approach and that's when we start to see the sort of harmonization of um global regulations around particular subjects so in the long run it ought to make reporting easier because you're using the same methodology and the same identify the upi for derivatives transparency reporting in various jurisdictions but in the short term, it's going to be more work. Yeah, it, it will be more work. And obviously there is there, there, there's, you know, hundreds of new fields that have to be reported as well. Um, again, for the same thing about trying to bring that uniform, uniformity and transparency. You know, nobody's going to get a fine on day one. Um, you know, that, that doesn't happen. There's, there's usually like a, a grace period and, and, and that's what we we see. Um, but ultimately, the, the move towards this is a very positive, a positive step. Yeah. One angle I'm interested in here is that the, the OG Amir came in about 10 years ago now. Yeah. Um, do you think market participants are, 
are compliant with the existing demands under EMEA now that these new ones are being introduced? Or is it going to be a question of trying to keep up with two sets of demands which aren't you know, fully implemented yet? Yeah, it's a good question. Well, clearly, because of the refit, no, they aren't. You can say that it, we wouldn't need a refit if they were. Um, I think that you will have um, a situation where uh, there's those that will try and you know, still keep up with the old, if you will. Um, but ultimately, the purpose of the refit is to try and bring in bring in the new. So, you know, it's you will have a period of time where um, firms will struggle to fit with with the new. Um, and um, I think that in in general, in, they they should find it easier because ultimately the the harmonisation of um, UPIs. Uh, a new report, like for instance, the the XML type format um, that has to be reported, which is an, another another point that's coming in. Now, there's a, I know from personal experience that there's, not, there's a lot of firms out there that will struggle with that on day one. Ultimately, the reason why we're moving towards that is um, to try and find to have the uniformity, so that actually in the long run it's far more simple if you have everybody reporting the same information in the same format. Um, now. Whether the content of that, that, that those reportable um, fields is actually correct, that's a different matter. But obviously, from a framework perspective, trying to move move towards that is um, is where we need. Mm. So the deadline in Europe is April. That's pretty soon. What are firms doing right now? Do you think to try and make sure that they are ready for, for example, using that new XML format? We see a number of firms that are uh, continuing to try and sort of do this themselves but obviously if you've done uh if you've reported in a CFC, csv format if that's the way that you operate right across your business uh, then trying to move towards um that xml format is a project and essentially a change management project in itself so we see there's a lot of firms that are that are doing that there um there's a lot more uh Compared to when sort of refit came out before, there's a lot of advisory firms out there that are helping, um, and they're able to provide those services to help them get get ready for that. Um, and there, there's a lot of lot more technology firms out there who are able to um, who've done a lot a lot of work on um, data transformation to try and help with this and data normalization. So, you know, where for some firms are trying to undertake it themselves, and I think that um, what you will see. Going back to your previous point, is that with this potential, you know, grace period, if we can call it that, um, after it comes in, is you will tend to see um, firms that try and do it themselves. Then they might change, have a change of direction um, and then tap into sort of a vast amounts of external help that there are now in order to actually achieve the the goals. And and you know. Obviously, I'm sitting here with a, a vendor hat on, but you know, professional service advisors would say this as well as that the standardisation for us is much better as well um, because it, it it brings a lot more clarity for for us as participants in in the process. And do you think we can learn anything from previous regulatory introductions? I'm thinking particularly MIFIR and the MIFIR review when it comes to April. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think that it probably just will follow this the same sort of um, approach. We'll 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 see the the regulations go in. We'll see how good the adoption or the adherence to it is. Um, there will probably be a few consultations off the back of that. A number of Q and A's. Um, 
And one thing that you, you know, I, I, from my experience, is that the the regulatory feedback on the whole um, that we get in the UK and Europe is actually very good off the back of these. And from MIFIA, it was. Now, whether that actually translates into fundamental change for these firms to try and help them adhere to that, that's not not necessarily the case. But in terms of the the, the visibility on feedback, we um, we should see that. Um, quite soon after the implementation of both in Europe and also in the UK. Okay, so one uh, mop-up question, what keeps you awake at night? What concerns you most about maybe the way our industry is headed? Uh, I think this one's easy for me because, you know, I, I'm not too worried about uh, regulation, but I think that it's a challenge that probably will keep quite a lot awake is the um, is, is data. Uh, I think that the one of the questions you asked me at the start is, uh, you know where what AI is going to do for us and what it means for regulation. I think that for all of us, the amount of data that we're potentially going to be drowning in, um, and the risk of uh, data being siloed, um, or conversely, data not being siloed and being out there for the sort of general public. You know, you look at these um, going back to the open AI and these these learning models. I think that you know the problem is with a lot of them is that once the data is out there, it's out there, and I think that um, where uh, information or potential information can get in the wrong hands, that's our our biggest concern and data leaks. And in fact, when we talk to firms now, the number of times that comes up, it almost you know it can dominate whole conversations where you've actually forgotten what the what what you were actually talking about in the first instance we've gone from regulation but it always seems to come back to data security data integrity potential data leaks you know where is this data being housed is it ending up in a, a learning model um etc and so that's from my perspective that keeps me awake because it's the you know it can be the di difference between you know operating or not although i do say that it keeps me awake it's uh uh, I'm not a bad, I'm not a great sleeper anyway, so um, it won't keep me away too much. Just as well. Great. And thanks very much for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me here.